All right, if you'll take your Bibles out, our text today will be 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 13. So we're going we're gonna to take that, those 13 verses for our text today. It's uh, good to be here again. Happy New Year. And uh, I did not hear Bill's announcements, so I, I gather that today is uh, Miss Woolley's um, birthday. So uh, thank you, Milton clan, for coming in. One thing I love about Rod and Leah is when they show up to church, they bring not, you know, some people bring a basketball team with them, but they bring a whole choir. So I really appreciate y'all singing and singing so enthusiastically. And I notice that your tribe is growing as you, as you send some off to the foreign mission field, but then you, you gather others through marriage. So that's great. Uh, but we're so glad that you guys are here. And I know uh, Sandra is so proud uh, to be in church with you and Daryl as well. And did somebody mention that this is a special day for the Gandys? Have we gone through that already? Well, I didn't get a chance to say happy 62nd anniversary. Uh, we're so proud of you guys. And so how, how did, were there a lot of people at your wedding when you got married on New Year's Day? Y'all just ran off and got married, right? Okay, that's, that's the way to do it. And I just want to say as the father of two daughters, what I'm encouraging my daughters to do. <laughs> because... You're saying, well, I want this marriage to last forever. Well, the Gandhis did it, and they've been married 62 years. So there we go. That's how we want to do that. We don't have to spend thousands of dollars to get married. We just run off and get married, and then we just love each other for 62 years. So I looked up today. I was thinking, Could I, what, is this, what do you give people on the 62nd anniversary? You know, we know what is 25 is silver, and 50 is gold, and 60 is diamond, and then there's nothing else after that. So you guys, this is all just gravy time. So you're good. So we'll just give you a hug and a handshake. And you're going to where? They're going to the, so it's Cracker Barrel. That's what it is. Somebody get them a gift card and we'll, we'll say that the 62nd anniversary is Cracker Barrel gift. That's going to be great. Larry, eat a big stack of pancakes for us, all right? We'll, we'll enjoy that. But we're so proud of y'all and love y'all so much. So thank y'all uh, for your example to us of faithfulness uh, through the good times and the bad, in, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poor. So we're so thankful for your uh, testimony of marriage to us. Well, let's take a look at our passage this morning. We're back in 2 Corinthians and normally, this uh, is usually broken up by preachers into two different sermons. Uh, they'll usually take verses 1 through 3 and 4 through 13. I'm going to try to cover them all. So I was trying to think, how do we tie these together, uh, verses 1 through 13? And, and I guess I kind of want to lay sort of the, like the big idea of the sermon out first, and then we'll, we'll go through the verses, and you'll see why it's, it's a... Uh, it's good to know the theme before you get into all the words, because there's a lot of words and a lot of ideas in this little passage that we have here before us that the Apostle Paul has written to the church in Corinth. And what I want to say that there's a tendency, if we can maybe even just start the sermon with application, and I want to say there's a tendency that we have and in thinking about, you know, of course, when you're thinking about the new year, you're thinking... I need to tie that in, but I think this does, as you'll see, tie into the idea of new year, is there's a tendency that we have as Christians uh, to reject the ministry of Christ. And that is because we have a tendency to close our hearts to people who are bringing us the gospel on his behalf. 
There's sometimes we just decide almost as though we want to just stick our fingers in our ear and we don't want to hear it. And I remember, you know, maybe when I was, in, when I was young and uh, maybe, there's a, maybe there's a girl that you liked in the youth group. And back then, we used to go to church all day long. We went in the morning and then we showed back up at like four in the afternoon to do discipleship training. Then we had choir and then we had church. And so we were up there all day long. And so, you know, if you notice a pretty girl, you know, in, in a discipleship class or choir, and then we're all going to go out to eat uh, burgers or eat pizza or something uh, afterward. And maybe you try to see if this girl will talk to you or whatever. And I remember, this is, this is really telling on myself, but I remember thinking, you know, I wanted to go, or, or just go with your friends and go, after church, just go to the pizza place and have fun. And... I remember whenever the preacher would give the invitation on Sunday nights, and I would think, I mean, I really, I don't even know if I was saved thinking this, but I would think to myself, well, I hope nobody really gets convicted tonight, <laughs> because I want to go have fun. I wanted, and we weren't doing anything wrong, we were just eating pizza and playing video games and cutting up. But I would think to myself, well, you know, if they are really listening to this, then it has to change that we, the way that we talk and act and the things that we think about after church is over. And you know who was really being convicted in that moment? Me. Because I was realizing if this, if this is true and if the Spirit's really moving, then this is going to change the way I talk. This is going to change the things that I talk about. This is changing the things that I want. And so there's a tendency we have when we're thinking, Oh boy, and I have had people tell me this even this past year. Thinking about the gospel, say, I'm afraid this might be true. And if this is true, then think of all the things that have to change. And so what do we do whenever we start to hear that and it starts to sink in? Sometimes there's a tendency, even for believers, to put our fingers in our ears and say, I'm not going to open my heart up to this because I don't want to do the hard work of repentance. I don't want to do the hard work of of change, of obedience. And so what Paul's asking and, and, and basically uh, uh, admonishing the Corinthians here is he's telling them, don't receive the ministry of God to you in vain. Um, so I want us to ask that question of ourselves this morning. Do I receive the ministry of God in vain? And I'm not just talking about the pulpit ministry of Chad Edgington or the Sunday school ministry that Jason Powers had today to our class or whatever it could be. But it could be just someone that comes up to you and you have a Christian conversation with them and they bring to you the truth of God's word and you know in your heart that God is speaking to you through this brother or sister and using his word to do it and the Holy Spirit's working. Don't receive that grace of God, that force for change. Don't receive that in vain. Don't let it be empty. So I want us to think about that primarily, but also for us to think about the ministry of Paul and to ask ourselves the question, how do I evaluate the ministry that I have? What is my ministry? What does 2023 look like for you in terms of being a disciple maker? Is that what you've been called to do? Isn't that what Jesus told his followers to do? Go into all the world and make disciples? Well, the part of the world you live in, well, some of y'all, is Alney or wherever it is that you live. And where do we start making disciples? Right there. And we want to have a, an impact through the nations. 
But I would say to people, you know, that talk about going on a mission trip, do you need to go on a mission trip across the sea if you won't go across the street? So how do we evaluate our own ministry? What, and what does a successful life as a disciple maker look like? So how do we receive the Word of God not in vain? How do we minister and how do we evaluate? And I'll tell you, I've been watching this documentary and there's some language in it, so I don't, would, would not watch it. I'm going to see if I can find it filtered for the next several episodes. But there's a, basically a documentary about Deion Sanders. Y'all remember Deion Sanders played for the 49ers and went and played for the Dallas Cowboys during the, the, the last time they were good, like 100 years ago. Uh, maybe, maybe they'll be good this year. And I've been watching this, and I texted Jake, and I was like, <laughs> I am really... I'm really amazed by Deion Sanders by watching this, you know, and, and uh, what he's doing, you know, he is, he's a millionaire, but multiple, multiple times over. This guy's a television star, probably one of the greatest athletes that's ever lived, uh, played in the World Series and won Super Bowls. I mean, there's not very many guys who can say that they've done that. And, you know, he's cocky, uh, he's self-assured, but on the other hand, I mean, he can, he's pretty much backed it up, right? I mean... <laughs> I mean, he's got the rings to prove it and the, the resume. And so here's this multi, multi-million, and he goes to a historically black college, uh, Jackson State in uh, Mississippi, and takes over a football program that has a total budget of $2.1 million. And you think, I wonder what the, the football budget is at UT or Texas Tech or even Tarleton. It's probably more than that, right? But he goes to this struggling, small, historically black college, and the idea is... Uh, to sort of to, to bring some, some attention to the historically black colleges and universities in that SWAC conference. But he's also going in there and he's saying, there's these young men that need a father figure. There's these young men, I don't know if I'm doing that, these young men who need, to, need someone to love them, and he wants to help them become men. And really, one of the primary goals he has is for them to make it to play professionally in the NFL or the XFL. And or, uh, or to have a career, to get a college education, have a career. And you're talking, he was able, because he's prime time, he was able to recruit some of the greatest athletes in the nation. My, this is going to be distracting. Okay, hold on, let's try it without the coat. Maybe, the, maybe there's something in my coat blocking. Mrs. Strader got me this coat. Isn't that a pretty coat? Thank you, Mrs. Strader. <laughs> and we'll change microphones if we need to. But he was going out there and... and uh, recruiting some of these guys that are just the greatest athletes in the country. And then he brings these athletes in that are cocky and that have always been the best player on the field, and he says, you got to listen to me. And it cuts against their nature to want to listen to him because they've always been the greatest in their, in their sphere. But what he's telling them is, if you don't submit to the coaches, if you don't humble yourselves, even though you're an awesome athlete, if you don't listen and learn and change, you'll never make it to the next level. There's not going to be a difference in your game. Nick Saban tells a similar story about a player who came in to play for Alabama. And he said that this player, you know, brand new, freshman, amazing recruit, and he says one night, the, you, know, so, you know what happens when you're kind of the big dog? People want to pick on the big dog. And so this kid comes in, he's the number one recruit. People say, you're not that great. You're not so, well, they started calling him names. 
and he got into a fight. The police were called, but they didn't arrest him. He goes into Saban's office the next day, and Saban says, you've got to listen to me. It doesn't matter what people say to you. You need to keep your mouth shut, and you don't ever need to attack anybody. And the, and the player said, well, Coach Saban, you can't expect me to sit here and let people call me names. You can't ex-. He said, yes, I can. He said, let me tell you why. Because right now, you, you do a couple, three years here, you'll be a first-round draft pick, and, you'll make, and when you sign your contract, you'll make $40 million. But if the police arrest you and that's on your record, you'll be a fourth-round draft pick, and you'll make $2 million. He said, so, for $38 million, I can keep my mouth shut. <laughs> And so can you. But that kid had to listen to him. And he said, he, he, I think what he actually told him was $30 million, And he said he signed for $40 million. He said he, he did listen. And he said, Coach, you'll never hear another word out of me. But he's, he listened. Because why? Why do they have to listen to Coach Dion? Why do they have to listen to Coach Nick Saban? Because the stakes are high. The stakes are high. What are the stakes here, though? Aren't they much higher than $30, $40 million? When we're talking about the value and the worth of a soul, what does, it get, what does a man gain if he, if, if, he, if he has the whole world, but he loses his soul? So we're talking about something that, that is more valuable than Christ says, the whole world. So what are the stakes of us not listening, not receiving, and not paying attention? There's a story told of John Chrysostom, the golden tongue orator uh, in the third century. And he was preaching there in the, 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 what we call the Hagia Sophia. Now it's a mosque, but it was a church where Chrysostom had his ministry. And they had night church too. Well, it gets dark. And so he was preaching, and people were, it's amazing that we have sermons that are that old. Like you have sermons that are over a thousand years old, that they were written down verbatim. So here's somebody transcribing his sermon right there in the room, and he says, hey, listen to me. See, I all looked up. <laughs> He said, listen to me, I'm up, I'm up here preaching, and y'all are paying attention to the men who've come in to light the lights. He says, I'm lighting a light up here too. But the stakes are high. And the problem is there's so many things that can distract us. What do we do when we hear the word of the Lord? Think about how many sermons. If you were here every, every uh, time the doors were open, you know, you heard 50 sermons last year and, and an equal number of uh, of Sunday school lessons. What are the stakes of not listening and not paying attention? What are the stakes of receiving the grace of God but it becoming empty in your life? Having nothing to show for it. There's a story in Jeremiah chapter 36 where King Jehoiakim, who's the son of Josiah, who was the great king who led the, the reforms. This is at the end of Judah before the, the conquest of Babylon. And Jeremiah writes down, or gives the message to Baruch. Baruch writes down the words of Jeremiah. These are the prophecy, the word of God for the king. The, 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 so he, uh, Baruch takes it to somebody, and they read it to somebody, and they say, the king's got to hear this. They take the scroll that Baruch wrote down, which was, was Jeremiah's words, from the Lord to the king. They take them in there to the king, and they read them. And what it says in Jeremiah 36 is that he would read a column or two of the scroll. And you know what he would do? cut it with a knife, and throw it in the fire. And they said, don't throw the word of God in the fire. Don't burn it up. And you know what the Bible says about King Jehoiakim? It says he was not afraid. He didn't realize what the stakes were, did he? Even when they urged him to stop burning the word of the Lord, 
Now, there's a similar situation going on here in Corinth as we get to our text. Now, the posture of many in the church had changed. Titus had brought a good message. Remember, Paul's writing these letters back and forth. He's having visits to them. One of the visits he calls painful in his ministry to the Corinthians because they're rejecting him. Instead of listening and changing, they're rejecting Paul knows that even though some of them now, when Titus has brought this good report that they're willing to listen to you, Paul, and they love you, that there's some that are still ignoring the Word of God. There's some that are still rejecting the ministry of Paul. In a sense, they're burning Paul's words. And so Paul tells them, if you look at chapter 6, verse 1, carrying over from chapter 5 where he's saying, be reconciled to God... He says, be reconciled to God because God made him who had no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. We are appealing to you as ambassadors for God to be reconciled to him. And so then carrying on that idea in in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, we're working together with him. Working together with him, we appeal to you. Why should you not reject Paul's words, Corinthians? Because he's working with God. He's an ambassador for God. One of the applications we could take from that very verse, Paul says, I'm working with him. He's not working for me. How many Christians have this idea that God works for them? Like God's some kind of a slot machine. You put your requests in, pull the lever, and he gives you what you want. That's not how it works, is it? Does the ambassador work for the president, or does the president work for the ambassador? The ambassador works for the president. The ambassador does the will of the president, and the ambassador says, I'm working with him. And so Paul says that same thing, I'm working with him. That's his authority. And he says, so I'm working with God, and I'm appealing to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Don't be left empty after God is blessing you with this ministry. Then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. He says, in a favorable time, I listen to you. And then a day of salvation, I have helped you. Now Paul kind of, he kind of explains to us how he's uh, understanding that verse is applying to the Corinthians. He says, behold, now, and this is a way that rabbis used to teach. They would give the verse and then give its meaning. And he's saying, behold, guys, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Listen to me now. Repent now. Be reconciled to God now. It's New Year's Day for us. Be reconciled to God now. Don't wait another year. Jason told us a story in Sunday school. He said when he was a young man, the Sunday school teacher had him write down their New Year's resolutions. Can I tell this story on you? What grade were you in? He was a freshman. So Sawyer's age and Caitlin's age. And uh, he says, he says we, we all sat down and wrote down the, the resolutions. He said, his resolution, I'm going to go to church every single week. <laughs> and he didn't go again. <laughs> he said, but at the end of the year, that Sunday school teacher mailed that resolution to him. And he said he felt that, he felt that conviction, right? And you know what happened two years later on New Year's Day? He got saved. Isn't that great? And so we can do that. We can say, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and we don't make any change. Paul says now's the time to consider Christ and consider his claims. Now is the time to receive the ministry from the apostle. Today is the day of salvation. And Paul says we didn't put any obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our 
ministry. Paul says there's no obstacle put in your way, but what was the obstacle that they were putting in their own way? Why wouldn't they listen to Paul? Why were they rejecting the servant of the servant? They were rejecting the servant, Paul, who who was serving Jesus, the great servant. they They were rejecting Paul because of his suffering, his imprisonments. Think about this. Paul's ministry had become an embarrassment to them when they heard the news that he's in prison, that he's suffering, that he's been beaten, that he's been whipped. Think about this idea. Listen to me. Don't pay attention to the lamps. And so they're, not, they're looking at all these things going on in Paul's life, and as I've told you before, they're saying, how can this man be blessed of God if he's suffering so much? Is that what a faithful ministry looks like when he keeps being thrown into prison by the Romans? Well, yes, it was. But they were embarrassed by it. Maybe you've been there. Have you been there before? Maybe there's somebody that really speaks truth into your life, but they're weird. They're awkward. They're not good with people. You know, I'll tell you this truth about Christians. A lot of Christians are weirdos. And a lot of Christians who really know God and who are some of the strongest Christians I know are a little bit weird. I'll count myself in there. And so... We understand Jesus has always attracted kind of the people on the fringes. Maybe the people that you wouldn't invite to your party, but if you'll invite them into your life, God will use them to minister to you. And that's kind of how it was with Paul. They said when Paul showed up, he wrote great letters. He was really strong with the pen, was not an impressive person. There might have even been an issue with his eyesight or something physically that was repulsive about Paul. And yet he was the one God was using to bring his message to the people. And he was not putting up obstacles in their way. Paul didn't take a salary. Paul put other people ahead of him all the time. He didn't want them to have any reason to say, well, look what he's doing. We're not going to listen to him. And yet they rejected him anyway. But look, he says in verse 4, but he says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By, so talking about the positive aspects, he's like, we don't, put op- we don't do the things we shouldn't do, but we, but we do the things we should do to commend our ministry to you. Paul says, I'm doing all this out here, suffering for Christ, and this is for you, that you may come to Christ, so there's no obstacles, and so you're, we are commendable in your sight, and yet you're rejecting us. And how does he say they're commended? So when we think about our ministry, we don't want to receive ministry of mothers in vain. How do we think about our own ministry? Well, certainly we would blush when we read this, right? Certainly me as the pastor who's, who's to have a ministry to the church and to churches um, as far as whatever God, influence God gives me when I read about Paul's sufferings, well, I mean, of course, I live a pretty easy life, right? We all do. But we can look at these positive aspects of Paul's ministry here and we can learn something. So let's see what he says. He says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Verse 4, by great, what does it say there? Maybe your Bible says patience. How many says patience there? How many says endurance? Okay, we commend ourselves by great endurance. This is the key, isn't it? We We are definitely proud of Randall for being a Christian for one year. Um... 
or 11 months, <laughs> almost a year. And we're celebrating his baptism, but this is just the beginning. The baptism marks the entry into the church, and it begins the journey of faithfulness. And Paul's saying here that one way, uh, maybe the prime way that we commend ourselves is, is by enduring in the ministry, by enduring in our faith. And, and I guess what I would say to that is there's a tendency in churches these days to really idolize young people. Uh, churches look for a pastor, so I'm you know, the area rep for our, for our association, and we have several churches that don't have pastors, and you say, well, what are y'all thinking? What are y'all going to do? What are you, who are you looking for? Everybody's like, well, we want a young person to reach the young people, all right? And, and what's, there's kind of this idea, even in our, in our whole society, where we idolize youth, you know? None of the famous people on TV tend to be very old, right? Except last night, apparently Dolly Parton was like ringing in New Year's. So I guess that's a step in the right direction. I don't, I don't know. But we idolize the young. And we, we look up to the young. But in the church, that's dangerous because the young have not had time to endure. And it's wonderful. We don't want to ever look down on somebody because they're young. We expect our young people to set an example, just as Paul expected Timothy to set an example. But we need to look for the people that endure in the ministry, that's a commendation. You're saying, who should I let speak God's truth into my life? Find someone that's been living it for a while. And here's what he said endurance looked like. Affliction. Find someone who's suffered for the gospel and walked through it. Someone that's been tested by the fire. You think they could speak God's truth to your life? Absolutely. Afflictions, hardships, calamities. Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. Paul says, I've suffered for the gospel for your sake. What does endurance look like? Suffering and coming through on the other side. We're starting grief share. I'll tell you, if you want to, to learn and be influenced by God's people in an example of faithfulness, go to the grief share class. These people are walking through it. Talk with a widow. Talk with a widower about how God's been faithful even through their darkest hour. Endurance looks like suffering. Endurance looks like spiritual fruit and growth. Look at verse 6. By purity. How are we enduring? By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness. How are we commending our ministry? By the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Genuine love. Truthful speech. And the power of God. Endurance and commendation looks like suffering. Endurance and commendation looks like spiritual fruit and growth. Endurance and commendation looks like preparation and equipping. He says there in verse 7, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. What does that mean? Back in these days, a soldier would be, uh, there's a couple of different interpretations of this. One says that they had the sword, which was what kind of weapon? Offensive in one hand. And what did they have in the other hand? The shield. So an offensive weapon or a defensive weapon. The other interpretation is back in those days, soldiers were taught to fight with swords in both hands. So what is he saying here either way? He's saying we're thoroughly equipped and prepared for what's coming. How do you become thoroughly equipped and prepared for what's coming? You got to know your word. You got to know the word of God. How do I learn the word of God? Go to Sunday school. That's a good start. Come listen to the preaching. Get you a copy of it and read it. Commendation, 
Endurance looks like enduring through hardships and ministry. Not everything's going to ever always go your way. You know, there's going to be some things that happen that are discouraging. Paul says, through honor, there's going to be some great times. People are like, oh, you're doing a great job. The church is growing. Look how all these disciples you're making. But also dishonor. Wow, we haven't really baptized many people lately. Through slander, people lying about you. And through praise. He says, we're treated like imposters. We come to Corinth and you act like we're not the real deal. And yet we are true, he says in verse 8. As unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live. As punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. You know, we joke around, you can't take the U-Haul with you behind the hearse. In this world, it's no shame to look as though you have nothing if you've got treasure in heaven. Because there you possess everything. And nothing can destroy it. Nothing can be taken from you. And then he says in verse 11, let's put a bow on it. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Oh, Corinthians, he says in some of the translations, where you can almost hear his pleading with them. Oh, Corinthians, our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. Remember, there's no obstacle. We put every commendation before you. But you are restricted. You are closing your heart to us by your own affections. The things you love keep you from loving us. How do you receive ministry? One of the reasons you don't receive ministry is because you love something else more than God. You love something else than the desire to follow Christ. And so what the apostle is saying to them is that their affections are restricting their ability to receive the ministry of the apostle. What about us? He says, in return, I speak to you as children. Please widen your hearts also. Our hearts are wide open to you. Make your hearts wide open to us. In short, Paul urging the Corinthians to accept his ministry and his suffering on their behalf for the gospel. I have remarked to Melissa before as we read the Apostle Paul's writings, what, what, what an amazing man. What, a, what amazing words he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but also just this man's story is amazing. And yet I wonder if the Apostle Paul showed up today if we would receive his ministry. I tend to think we would probably, we have a high view of ourselves and our own spirituality that we probably shouldn't have. I wonder if we would say, this guy's weird. This guy, he doesn't look so good. He doesn't present well. He's the most boring preacher I've ever heard. I mean, we know the story of Paul. He preached so long, one night somebody fell out of a window and died. There's a preaching book I have called Saving Eutychus. That young man's name was Eutychus that fell out of the window. And they say, preachers, don't bore them to death so they fall asleep and fall out of a window. What if he showed up here? Would we receive the ministry? Can, can we recognize when someone is speaking the truth of God to us and we need to receive it? So a few applications. Don't receive ministry in vain. When we hear the word of God, don't be like Chad on junior high Chad on Sunday nights. 
receive it and change. We heard a story. I've got a few minutes here. We heard a story. Sarah and I were listening to a sermon on the way back from Fort Worth the other day. And the preacher was talking and he said, he was telling a story of a famous preacher, and, I, and I, he actually mentioned a couple different names, so I'm not sure who the preacher was, but he said there was a famous preacher, happened to be on a boat, and this boat was traveling uh, up, I guess, the Mississippi River, and these, these people were just amazed that they were on board this boat with this famous preacher. And so they said, hey, tomorrow is Sunday, will you lead the service for us on Sunday? And this is, you know, uh, you know in, the, in two centuries ago, in the 19th century, and he says, Yes, I will. And so they sing a hymn, and he decided he was going to preach on brotherly love and loving your neighbor, and deferring to your neighbor, and serving your neighbor. And so he preached a sermon, you know, admonishing them and encouraging them to put others first, and to to imitate Christ by serving others, and living a life of deference, and how that would honor Christ. He said when he was finished with the sermon, he closed the Bible, he opened up the hymn book, they sang the last hymn. Now here's all these people on this boat, they're having their little church service, and he says it was nearing the lunch hour, and back in those days, the way they would call you to dinner is somebody would bang a gong. He says right when the service ended, they banged the gong, and you should have seen those people who had just sat there and listened to a whole sermon on love your neighbor, defer to others, put others first. He said they were the most selfish people as they ran to lunch to make sure they were all first in line. And it's all right. I were listening to that. So I was like, oh man, that's convicting. How many times do we come to church and look in the mirror and see what needs to change and then walk off and nothing changes? Whenever we hear the word of God this year, 2023, let's change. When, you, when we've been given the blessing of knowing God's Word, let's take the opportunity to live it out. To not just be a hearer of the Word, but to be a doer of the Word. Don't look for reasons to not obey. Well, I don't like that guy, so I'm not going to listen to what he says. If God can speak to a donkey, uh, to, to the prophet, he can speak... Through, through me or you or anyone that we come in contact with who's bringing us the Word of God, Spirit and truth, and in love. Now, how should we minister to others? Well, I think we have a great example here. Don't put an obstacle. Don't put a stumbling block in front of other people. Whatever that could be, the way you speak, what you eat or drink, uh, any kind of activity that you participate in, that might cause others to stumble. Well, don't put an obstacle. And commend uh, yourself to them by doing the right things. How can I be obedient? How can I set a good example for the believers in my conduct, in my speech, in my love, in my life? Let's endeavor to serve Christ with endurance. There's no shortcuts in the faith. It's all one big long cut, right? And so let's live with great endurance Let's run this race we call the Christian life. Don't view your suffering as something that's, that's a negative. View your suffering as something God can use for His glory. That you might be changed. View your suffering as something that has an eternal purpose and significance. And that one day, when you have a heavenly uh, and an eternal perspective on all your suffering, you'll say, yeah, that was all right. I understand what you were doing there now, 
even though I didn't understand it then. And we need to have open hearts. Do you have open hearts to the people that reject you? Ooh. Man, that, that hurts, right? I mean, Paul's example here is he has a heart wide open for people that don't like him. And then we also need to have our hearts wide open. When, when we've had a closed heart because our affections are aimed at the wrong things, we open our hearts to those who would make us more like Christ in our lives. To sum up, I would ask you the question, who is carrying the gospel to you in such a way, with such purity, that to reject it is to reject Christ? And then are you carrying the gospel to others in such a way, with such purity, that you are an ambassador for Christ, that if someone rejects your ministry, they are rejecting not the, 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 the underservant, but the, the true servant, Jesus Christ. There was a famous preacher in England, Anglican preacher named Charles Simeon. We go to the Simeon workshop in Graham. It's kind of like spring training for preachers every year. It's named after him because he spent decades and decades in one church preaching the Word of God line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. So we, we emulate that. As the, we understand that's the best way to preach because we preach the whole Bible that way. We don't just pick and choose what we like or what we don't like. And you know how these people, these British people are, right? Stiff upper lip. Don't show emotion. They said one day Simeon got up in the pulpit when he'd be preaching in that church 30 years. I mean, I feel like I've preached here a long time and I've only been here 10 or 9 He'd been there for 30 years. When he first got there, the people were so mad. They weren't necessarily mad at Charles Simeon. They were mad at whoever had appointed Charles Simeon to their church because they wanted another guy. There was a guy they really liked and they didn't get him. So you know what they did? They would come in and back then they had doors on their pews with locks. And they locked their pews up and didn't come to church. And they locked their pews so nobody else could sit in them. When people heard about Charles Simeon, the way he could preach the Bible and make it come alive, the people just came and sat in the aisles. And then eventually those pew lockers came in. They were like, well, what's going on in here? And they unlocked the pew and they sat down and, they, and they, the church's, church was full. He became a very famous preacher in England. But he got up there one day after he'd been there 30 years and they said he started crying. And he said, I've been preaching here for 30 years. And some of you have listened year after year after year after year and you've received it all in vain. You've not changed one lick. You're not growing in Christ and he was concerned for their soul. How can a believer not be growing? How can a believer be sitting under the word of God and never be changing? How could a believer be sitting there for 30 years with hearts stone cold? And he wept with them and he pled just like the apostle does here. We appeal to you be reconciled to God. We appeal to you to repent today because today is the day of salvation. Maybe you've heard a thousand and a thousand and a thousand sermons. Who knows how many we hear over our lifetime. And I love what Randall said when we were back there in the baptistry talking with Lonnie. And he said, I knew something had to change. What has to change today? Let's not live 2023 the way we lived 2022 or the year before that or the year before that, which we try to forget. 
2020 did reveal a lot of things, didn't it? Revealed a lot of areas where we thought we were strong and we were weak. Ask God to do the same thing in your heart today. Show us what needs to change because today is the day to receive the ministry of Christ.